Welcome to the Keos Podcast, a series dedicated to bringing you the best claims and legal insight. Hello. On the 11th of March 2021, the Scottish Parliament passed the Redress for Survivors Historical Child Abuse in Care Scotland Bill. Its aim is to create a redress scheme for survivors of historical child abuse in care in Scotland. Today we're going to look at the bill and what it aims to achieve and discuss the responses to it. Joining me to do so is my colleague Callum Fife, a partner specialising in abuse in our Glasgow office. Hello Callum, thank you very much for joining me. So to start with, tell us a bit about the origins of the redress bill. How did it come about? Thanks, Dan. So I'll begin with uh, a wee bit of background. The bill is just the latest in a package of measures which have been introduced over the last 15 years or so to address historical child abuse uh, in Scotland. Uh, This dates back to a formal apology on behalf of the Scottish people made by the then First Minister, Jack McConnell, in 2004. Since then, we've seen the establishment of the Scottish Child Abuse Inquiry in 2015, the passing of the Apologies Scotland Act in 2016, and the Limitation Child Abuse Scotland Act in 2017, which removed the three-year limitation period for civil actions arising from historic abuse. In October 2018, the Deputy First Minister John Swinney made a statement to the Scottish Parliament in which he committed to establish a financial redress system for survivors of abuse in care. He also offered an unreserved apology on behalf of the Scottish Government to all those who were abused in care. So the Scottish Government made a promise at that time to establish a scheme but on very general propositions of providing redress. Two years on, the bill was presented to Parliament and began its way through the legislative process towards becoming an act. Okay, thanks. Uh, you, You mentioned that the initial promise of redress was fairly general. What clarity has the Act provided on its terms? Well, it's set out as being and this is in inverted commas, uh, to acknowledge and provide tangible recognition of harm as a result of historical child abuse in various residential care settings in Scotland. Its aim is to provide elements of accountability, justice and financial redress for those who wish to access it. It seeks to put in place a scheme which treats survivors with dignity and respect and which faces up to the past with compassion. Specifically, uh, the bill does acknowledge that financial redress will not necessarily meet the needs of all applicants who have suffered abuse. Therefore, it it sets out to provide applicants access to elements of non-financial redress, such as acknowledgement of the wrongs committed against them, apologies, and access to therapeutic support. The scheme will sit alongside other measures in, in place to support individuals looking for some sort of redress. Okay, I see. Now, that's quite a big commitment, particularly at a time like this. How then does the Scottish Government intend to manage the scheme, Callum? So uh, the government has recognised that the issue of historic abuse in residential care has affected a large number of people at uh, various institutions over a a historic period of time. 
Uh, it's been reflected in the number of survivors who've assisted with the Scottish Child Abuse Inquiry, which was set up in 2015. So the government's recognised recognised that redress is a, a big undertaking. Um, so the, the bill will set up a, an independent body called Redress Scotland, which will assess applications and make decisions on redress uh, applications. It will also review the claims of any applicants dissatisfied with the rewards. It had been anticipated that this infrastructure would be in place uh, by now, basically, before the end of the, the, the last parliamentary session at the end of March. But um, given uh, current conditions with the, the pandemic and restrictions associated with that, other political issues that the current administration has been wrestling with, uh, there are likely to be delays in, in it getting actually up and run, running practically. Okay, so who will be eligible to apply then? Will it be open to all survivors? Yeah, so first thing to say is that all claims have to be made within five years of the establishment of the scheme. Um, as to who can apply, there will be three fundamental criteria that an applicant has to satisfy to be eligible. Firstly, the abuse has to have occurred before 1st December 2004, uh, that being when the apology was made by uh, Jack McConnell. Secondly, the applicant uh, must have been under 18 at the time of the alleged abuse. Thirdly, uh, they'll need to provide evidence that they were subjected to abuse whilst a child and resident in a relevant care setting in Scotland. Right, relevant care setting. That suggests home or residential institution, right? Broadly speaking, yes. Um, but... What is being allowed for is fairly restrictive in the sense that although there are undoubtedly large numbers who've been abused in that environment, the bill will also exclude large numbers of survivors abused in, say, a religious or charity setting or sporting context. Uh, survivors in those uh, contexts will still need to exercise their rights through civil litigation to obtain redress. Okay, so let's talk a little more about what precisely a relevant care setting means, because I understand there are quite specific requirements. Well, what the bill says is that relevant care settings are those where children in care were subject of some form of intervention by a body exercising a public function. So that'll include uh, residential institutions like care, uh, children's care homes, uh, penal institutions, residential care facilities, school-related accommodation and secure accommodation. Of course, the route of a child to any one of these institutions is not always clear-cut uh, in terms of how a placement has been agreed. So we can anticipate that, as with any statutory definition like this, um, there are likely to be arguments around whether a particular arrangement in place for a survivor falls within its intended scope, which may ultimately lead to satellite litigation. I see, yes. Okay, but as I understand it, the redress scheme does provide an avenue for some other groups of people who can't currently proceed under the civil litigation system. Yeah, that's right. Um, there are two particular groups that benefit. Um, firstly, there are those who suffered abuse prior to the 26th September 1964 who didn't get the benefit of the uh, 2017 Act changes to the limitation regime. Secondly, 
in certain circumstances, a restricted category of next of kin will be permitted to apply for redress where their relative passed away after 17th November 2017 and the abuse occurred prior to 1st December 2004. Right. OK, thanks, Callum. Let's now turn to how the scheme is going to work. There's a financial element to it. There's also a non-financial element to it. Let's take a look at the financial element first. How is that going to work? Yeah, so survivors can apply for a fixed rate payment of £10,000 or alternatively an individually assessed sum dealt with on a case-by-case basis with reference to set tariffs, which will be either £20,000, £40,000 or £80,000. Individually assessed applications will involve a more detailed examination of the evidence. There's a right to review if the applicant is dissatisfied with the initial award and next of kin payments will be a fixed sum of £10,000. Right, I see. And where's the funding for those awards coming from? Well, this is one of the key considerations when the bill went through its consultation period before reaching Parliament was exactly who's going to pay for this? Uh, Ultimately, the government will will be responsible, but uh, in inverted commas again, fair and meaningful contributions will be sought from public authorities and voluntary organisations that were involved in the care of survivors or indeed the decision-making process concerning their care. So there's a question as to what what is a fair and meaningful contribution, which which may be something which look, needs looked at in due course, uh, as it's not altogether clear wh- what's meant by that. I see. And when applicants apply under this scheme, can they instruct lawyers to do so on their behalf? Yes, yes, they can. Um, but there are limits within the bill as to what a solicitor might recover for doing uh, that on their behalf. Uh, The bill states that uh, Scottish ministers must, on request, pay the prescribed sum to a solicitor in respect of the work reasonably undertaken in making an application for a redress payment on behalf of a person, whether or not that application was successful and whether or not it was subsequently withdrawn. So uh, there is provision for a payment, but uh, the bill doesn't actually set out what that prescribed sum is. Um, That will be detailed in uh, further regulations to come from the government in due course. However, the bill does make it clear that payments will only be made for work that was reasonably undertaken, which will be something that uh, Redress Scotland will be tasked with looking into if there are any issues. Right. Thanks, Callum. Um, Turning now to the non-financial element of the redress scheme, what kind of things does that entail? So unlike the civil litigation uh, route that uh, survivors can go down to get financial redress, uh, there are and will be various opportunities to obtain therapeutic support, formal apologies uh, and non-financial redress options from direct from the uh, institutions uh, involved through the redress scheme. So it's a slightly different process. And like I say, it's a a therapeutic process in that regard. Okay, thank you very much. 
turning now to who benefits um, from the scheme, what are your what are your thoughts on on the on the advantages here, both for survivors but also for the care providers? Yeah, I mean, I think I think there are, are arguments to support benefits for both survivors and the care providers associated with the scheme. Briefly touching on both for survivors, the perceived benefits for a survivor are that the scheme provides swift access to justice. It's non-adversarial and avoids the need for lengthy court proceedings and crucially avoids the need to give evidence with the risk of re-traumatisation going over historic abuse allegations. It also should ensure accountability, both financial and non-financial, as we just touched on. So uh, non-financially, therapeutic support, formal apologies and and the like are, are, are options which are now open through the scheme, which would otherwise not be available to them through the civil court process. Turning to care providers, uh, the scheme's not concerned with establishing legal liability for the consequences of abuse as a court would. So they're not being faced with any determination of fault or negligence. So the potential reputational risks associated with that uh, and decisions by the courts uh, are essentially avoided. Where survivors opt for the scheme, the administrative and financial risks of costly, lengthy and complex civil litigation uh, are also uh, avoided. So it can be seen as a positive for institutions who have already seen the impact of a significant increase in these types of claim, abuse claims in recent years with increasingly wider uh, application of vicarious liability and uh, the removal of limitation in 2017. Indeed. Um, before we sum up then, there is one controversial issue worth discussing here, which is the question of a waiver in the scheme. Tell us a bit more about that. Yeah, I mean, this has been uh, one of the main uh, talking points uh, in getting to this position with the bill um, is that uh, an applicant who uh, receives a scheme payment will require to a abandon any ongoing civil proceedings and b waive their right to raise any future proceedings. So uh, the rights and wrongs of this have been pretty hotly debated since the bill was first published. Um, the government has has backed its position on the wording of the, the, the bill and emphasised that the reasoning behind it and the reasoning behind the, the inclusion of the waiver is that it should encourage care providers to contribute to the scheme in the knowledge that they won't require to also meet civil claims at a later date. Um, on the other hand, survivor groups and certain pursuer firms have uh, described the requirements to sign a waiver as a betrayal and representing cash for silence. Um, they argue that it's unnecessarily and unfairly restrictive and a compromise scenario that had been put forward by, by them on the basis that any redress payment uh, made should be offset against any subsequent award of compensation by the courts. Uh, but the final wording of the Act as it was initially worded in the the, the 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 waiver remains and that any 
applicant will require to sign a declaration preventing any future civil action. I see. Okay, so weighing everything in the balance then, will the scheme work in its current form? That's a tricky question. The bill has been passed following consultations with leading survivor groups, contributor institutions and legal groups. Um, on paper, the scheme looks promising for survivors with many perceived advantages to litigation, though it is probably unsurprising that solicitors acting for survivors have not reacted as favourably. Um, we anticipate that whilst there may be some initial take up in the redress scheme, it's unlikely to be the success that the government hopes that it would be um, without buy-in from all concerned. In particular, the waiver presents a significant stumbling block which may well see potential redress applicants steered towards litigation where solicitors involved. Understandably, many may be persuaded by the prospects of higher awards of damages available through the court process. Um, the introduction of qualified one-way cost shifting, which is coming in uh, in June of this year, will effectively remove the cost risk associated with the litigating these claims with narrow exceptions, and it's anticipated to result in an increase in claims progressing through the courts. Uh, so against that background, there's a concern that the redress system becomes simply a pathway to payment for weaker claims that may not otherwise have succeeded in the civil courts. Will the scheme work? Ultimately, the short answer is that it may work for some, but time will tell. As I've already mentioned, potential applicants will have five years from the introduction of the scheme to make their application. So it could probably be anticipated that there will be an initial short to medium term reduction in litigated cases. Uh, and the scheme should be attractive to the categories of applicants that are unable to claim presently in the civil system. So next kin and those abused uh, prior to 1964. But it remains to be seen whether uh, ultimately it will be the success that it's hoped to be. OK, thanks very much, Callum. Time will certainly tell. Thank you very much for listening. <laughs>